I invite you to visualize the tip of an iceberg. And notice how we can see only a part of it. And that we are aware that there's something much deeper and massive underneath what we can see as the tip of the iceberg. And when I think about all the anger that we're seeing in our communities, I'm making a connection with wondering, knowing that anger is a secondary reaction to something much deeper. Um, there's something that we need to look at. There is so much more underneath that we have to look into. Last week, it was Pentecost Sunday, and I talked about the four first four verses in the book of Acts. And this is the part when people were receiving the word of God's wonders and miracles and truth in their native languages. And those who were speaking those languages didn't really know those languages. And I talked about the love language. So although people, about 3,000 people, were able to understand what was being said, they were still perplexed and confused. And in verse 12, they literally ask, what does this mean? To my surprise, I want to share with you how verse 14 was a very convicting verse for me. This is when Peter stands up and addresses the crowd. And he begins to explain what it means. Peter, the one who now stands up to speak, is that guy who at one point denied Jesus. When Jesus was with him, physically speaking, when Jesus had done the perfect, holiest way to preach and to be the example of what it means to follow God. During that era, when the crowd started to point the fingers at Peter and he noticed and felt the threat firsthand, that's the guy who denied and hid his identity. That's the guy who looked at Jesus right in the eye and said, I don't know you. And he did it once, he did it twice, and he did it three times. And Peter felt so horrible that he, based on the fact that now I see how on verse 14, he's doing the very opposite. Verse 14 is a perfect example of what it looks like to be transformed. Because there was one time when he was silent and scared of the crowd. And then we see how for his transformation, this is the time when he had to stand and explain. I'm not implying that I am close to being like Peter. I have to admit that I feel very far from being like Peter. But I hope that I am farther away, even more farther from being like the Peter before the transformation. And I hope that I can try at least to follow the Peter after his transformation. So then we get to verse 22 and on, and he begins to explain what was going on. 
In the last days it will be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And then listen to this part. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. And your young people shall see visions. And your older people shall dream dreams. Even upon my servants, both men and women shall prophesy. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show signs and wonders. And it even talks about there's going to be blood, there's going to be darkness, and there's going to be a time when we need to prophesy about God. And then it finishes that particular part by saying, And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Do you consider yourself a son of God? Do you consider yourself a daughter of God? For all of us who call ourselves sons and daughters of God, we may be being called to prophesy and prophesy with words and foretell and predict and stand for something and rise as a people includes lips and deed. So what if this passage is for us today to prophesy, to speak and live prophetically? Talk about what, you may ask. Well, to foretell something that we can't see today is foretelling, is speaking prophetically. Do we see enough hope today? Maybe you're saying no, I agree with you, no. So who is going to speak prophetically about what is yet to be seen or more to be seen of? Hope, sons of God, daughters of God. Do we need to see more love thy neighbor as ourselves? Yes. Who's going to speak and live and live prophetically about that and to that end? Are we all to be ordained ministers? Does this mean that we're supposed to all go to seminary and learn how to communicate? No. No, it talks about how to speak the love language because once you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, we may have exactly and the grace enough to speak and live prophetically. And what the anger and what we have to hear and keep into true, deep consideration is that God intended all of humanity. God created all human beings in God's image. And the history, even in the word, in the history, U.S. history, worldwide history, is that humanity has struggled with seeing everyone through the lens of how God sees and created all of us to be. There's something underneath the iceberg. And by verse 37, when the crowd heard Peter so courageously and lovingly unpack these verses as we can see it and read it today, when they heard all of this, they said, and you can read it, 
okay, what do we do now? The word says, what should we do? And I think that's the question for us today. So I'm going to read verse 38 to not just make it a historical confirmation of what Peter said then, but I hope that we can make it a living benchmark. Verse 38 says that Peter said or answered to the question, what should we do? Repent. In other words, change your heart and change your mind and change your actions. Repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of us, in the name of Jesus Christ. Repent. Change your ways. Baptism. In the ancient time, it was a rite of passage. Traditionally, we tend to also think of it that way, but we take it, we take it even deeper. We were able to learn and interpret it even deeper for our context. You and I understand baptism as the way to be cleansed, cleansed from head to toe from our sins. So verse 38 is telling us, repent Change your mind, your heart, and your actions. Be baptized. Remember your baptism. Be cleansed by the Holy Spirit and be filled by the Holy Spirit. May your sins be forgiven and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39 reads, For the promise is for you for your children, and for all who are far away, who are yet to come, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. I am a black woman who grew up in the South in a small town in North Florida. And I'm here today to tell you about some of my experience because I have gone through some of the same things that George Floyd is going through now. And I have seen what black men go through uh, in the South and all over the country at this point in time in my life. I grew up in a segregated South. I went to segregated schools. And I want to say to you here now today that um, I graduated from school in Miami, high school in Miami in 1953. And I want to say to you today that I was schooled, not educated, because we didn't have books. Uh, we didn't have the books, and we weren't, didn't have in the South, we didn't have what, what the yeah, white students had. I didn't realize how deficient I was until I went off to college. And I went to college in Hampton, Virginia to Hampton Institute at the time it was called, it is now Hampton University. Uh, one of the black colleges, I could not go to white colleges. I could not go to Florida, I could not go to the University of Florida, I could not go to Florida State. Then I graduated from Hampton in 1957 and I got a job in Philadelphia. Now I'm up north and I thought things were gonna be different. Here I am in the city of brotherly love and what did I run into in the city of brotherly love? Segregation, the same as I ran into it in the South, the only thing, it was like shoved under the rug and it came at you subtly. I went out and put in applications for jobs and I would call back later on to find out how 
had anybody looked at my application. Oh, they never even got an application from me. The reason how come they never got one from me is because they threw it in the trash as soon as I walked out the door. Well, this is how I found out that things in Philadelphia were just as segregated as they were in the South. People have a tendency of being alike and they want to stick together. Never mind what color you are, what position you may have. And it may not have a lot to do with being white. It may have to do with age. It may have to do with um, occupation. It may have to do with interest. Or uh, whatever the reason is, uh, it's hard to uh, socialize with people who are not like you in any way, shape, form, or fashion. It's very, it's very difficult. I, it takes a very special person to handle that. Now, what can our church do to better um, make things better for everybody, especially in terms of segregation and people being mistreated in our country and around the world? First of all, uh, we have to try to educate our people. A little kid, first year, when they first learn to talk and they learn how to walk, they don't know anything about color. They don't know anything about disliking me. I mean, they'll jump up on me just as good as they'll jump up on somebody else. They'll love me as much as they love somebody else. But once they reach the point where they're out in society and they're running into other kids, this is when you notice the problem. But now, what can we do as a church? We can try to um, have more activities where we have more of an opportunity to socialize, but I think it starts at home. Mothers especially have to teach their children, their young girls and their young boys, about what it is and about race and about color and everything that they need to teach them. This is where it's going to start. It's going to continue from there on into the schools and into church. We have to start teaching our children. You can't wait until they are grown. You have to start at home to teach them that all people are alike, that God made all of us. We are, are supposed to be a Christ, a God-orientated church, and this is what we have to teach. We don't read in the Bible anywhere where Jesus discriminated against anybody. And he went to the cross and he died for everybody. And we should remember this as Christians. And if we're going to live up to Christians, Christians come from the word Christ. If we're going to live up to this Christ business, then we have to be like Christians. We have to be like Christ. We have to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? And I think if we ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? We're going to find that we don't really have the answer, or we're not living the answer. We're not living to be the kind of people that Christ would want us to be. And we're going to be in some serious trouble if we don't get our act together while we're down here. Um, the Bible, as far as I was always taught, the Bible is, the word Bible came from basic instructions before leaving earth. That's what the word Bible has always meant to me. It's your basic instructions before leaving earth. If you don't get it together before you leave earth, I do not believe there's any such place as purgatory where you're going to have time to go and get it together. You have to get it together now. God sent his only son, and he died on the cross for all our sins, and it didn't make any difference to him 
whether they were black or white or purple or green or yellow. It didn't make any difference whether they were soldiers, whether they were dignitaries, uh, the thieves were hanging on the cross beside him. And he forgave the people who crucified him. And we're going to have to do likewise if we plan to get to heaven. And, and we have to love our neighbor, and we are all brothers and sisters regardless of what color our, our, our skin is because we all bleed red blood. Can't we just all get along? No, we can't. Clearly, we can't just all get along. We can't just fix ourselves. We can't just all figure it out. If it was that easy, we would have done so already. We can't just get along. We need to repent. We need to be cleansed. We need to be transformed. That is the only way that we can get along. Respect one another. Love one another. What does living prophetically look like today for you and for me? The church is to be the driving force because God commissioned us to do that and be that to reform when we need to reform teachings that we did incorrectly in the past. At least do some kind of repair along the way and contribute this era for the future era. The church should be key influencers for those young people, as we just read, that are to envision their future with Christ. We have to give them the space. We have to mentor and coach them. We have to encourage them to envision a better tomorrow. We as the church are to be the example of being visionaries. That's what it means to support the church and to actually be part of the church. In other words, we are to share the responsibility. We must build relationships with people. We must understand their story. We must listen to their story. We must have enough trust that they are intrigued to hear the story of how you and I repented. If we're going to post religious things, then also make sure that you're making the time to build the conversation. Be incarnational. Show Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Research. Live out the fruits of the Spirit. That's in Galatians. Think and dig deeper of why is there so much anger and mistrust. Christ followers are to reach out and listen Understand why there is so much resentment. Beatitudes, be a peacemaker, be meek, be patient, be loving, be forgiving, ask for forgiveness. Inform your faith. Read the scriptures. Read Romans 8, which is the life in the spirit. Read Galatians 5, which is fruits of the spirit. And I will say a little bit of that part where it says, there is no law against such things, yet they are a reflection of the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. 
Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Complement your reading and seek out other resources. Study and seek resources that are trustworthy. And then take it an extra mile and seek different perspectives so that you can at least have a bigger picture, stretch your, your, your faith, understanding, stretch and expand your knowledge so that we can see different angles and, and more courageously but graciously have this kind of dialogue and discussion. Be open to support courageously the ways to reform our systems. When we decide to vote, make it a priority to see what plans are out there, who is prioritizing the need to reform. Repent. Have a change of heart. Have a change of your mind. Have change of actions. Talk like Jesus. Walk like Jesus. Live like Jesus. Will we be the church that will rise and speak prophetically in a time of crisis.